So I was, uh, I was raised in a, in a pastor's home in the Midwest, Illinois, gone away to school all the way to Missouri, which is uh, next door. And uh, I met Connie and uh, she and I, uh, yeah, kind of hit it off. And about a year in of dating, he told me the ultimatum, which is someday I want to start a church from the ground up. If you're not interested, now's a good time to say so, because I don't want to go forward. I, I don't know if she really believed I would pull the trigger and do it, but, but uh, she agreed to it when we dated. That was a part of the deal. Fast forward, we get married, we move to Naperville, which is a suburb of Chicago. We have two kids. My life is great. I have this beautiful house. We work at a big church. Everything is great. We'd been on staff there for, oh, eight, nine years. I, I felt like maybe it was time to step up and do what I felt like ultimately I was supposed to do. I had seen what can happen when a guy commits his whole life to one spot. You know, in two years, you can gather a few people and make a little splash. But if you stay 20 years or more, you can, you can begin to impact some, some generation to generation kinds of issues in families and maybe even in a community. And so for me, that just reinforced that not only did I want to start something, I wanted to build something. When I wanted to go start a church downtown Chicago, I kind of approached my senior pastor. It was 30 miles away wouldn't interfere with what they're doing. I didn't intend to take anybody with me necessarily. He, he didn't say yes or no. And I got in the next day and I found a five page letter in a manila envelope on the seat at my desk. It was a big deal for me. And, and I actually knelt down at, in my office and prayed, Lord, whatever's in here, let me hear from it what I need to hear and learn from it. It was five pages of no, five pages of no. Made me mad. It did, it really upset me because I thought I'd talked to this guy who I really admired and loved and when I came here, he always knew this is where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, and it was no. But you know, I, I took that and I just, I had already prayed over it and God let me just receive it. At first I got a little ticked and then I went, okay God, I prayed, I give this to you because if we're gonna do anything in ministry, it's gonna have to be you anyway, so it's your call. So uh, one of the students I was working with uh, at Wheaton, one of their dads was an overseer for some churches and I ended up being in contact with him and he said, why don't you guys come, just take a look, just look around and see. And I really thought in my mind to this day <laughs> that it was just an act of obedience. If we went, we were just gonna go and it wasn't gonna amount to anything because California was very far from where we had grown up. So California wasn't really on our radar. We decided to come out one weekend. We were gonna look at something in Thousand Oaks, I think. We went up there, it was not a good fit for us. And then his mentor, his overseer said, hey, why don't you go to Seal Beach? There's this little church, you know, I don't know, but go check, check it out. It might be something you're interested in. So I got up right behind me there. It didn't look that good, but I got up and spoke right there on a little stage. And uh, the windows back then, uh, you can't see them, but they're clear. Uh, they used to be yellow. And so there was this yellow tent and uh, right about, right in front of where I'm sitting, there was a wall right across this room uh, because the congregation had gotten so small. This building only holds a hundred people. And then pews with gold like um, stuffing that was coming out. The padding inside the pews had rotted. So when my wife in her navy blue suit stood up, there was this pattern <laughs> on the back of her. And blue carpet that had that roll that gets going when it's old. That door right there, that door right there, both were rotted on the hinges and it would fall out every once in a while. So that was kind of the picture we got when we came here. It's kind of like, 
Oh, this is it. Okay, great. So coming from the church I came from, where I had lots of jumping off places to go, this would not seem to make sense. But I wasn't really doing this based on what was the most logical next step, because I knew that anything that was going to be significant in life had to be a God thing. And so God had to choose it. And afterwards, I met with their little leadership team. And um, I said, now you guys told me you had money that if I needed to move and everything would and they kind of looked down and none of them would look at me. And I'm like, why, why are these guys not looking at me? I'm like, what is going on with this? And finally, finally, I said, what's up? They go, well, we don't really have any money. We got a little bit. And they showed me the books. It was a tiny little bit. And it wasn't enough to even move me, much less sustain me. And the truth is that if you come, none of us are going to be here. In that moment, when I found out they didn't have any money and they didn't have a congregation, they weren't going to be here, I, I said something that I'm, I'm just glad God didn't strike me dead. Because I said, let me get this straight. You have no money, you have no congregation, you have no place for me to live, and all you've got is a postage stamp of a rundown little building without parking. You want me to pick up my family and move to California. Is that right? And they kind of looked and said, here's what I said, and God should have probably just zapped me, but I said, either you three men have more audacity than any three men I've ever met, or this is of God. I'll tell you later which it is. <laughs> and I walked out. And kind of after everything was over and we started driving back, I think we were meeting friends in Newport. And I said, wow, that was interesting. That was like a waste of time, right? And he didn't say anything. I said, right? <laughs> and I didn't say anything. And she's like, what? <laughs> you're not, and she, here's the words, you're not thinking about this, are you? He said, well, what would you think if we thought about it, if we prayed about it? And I said, how could we do it? They can't support us. They don't have any people. They don't have any money. We have two kids. They like to eat. Things are dicey here. And we don't know anybody. We're far from our family. And he said, well, what would it take? What would need to happen? How could God say yes? And it was, well, our house would have to sell. The house would have to sell. We had a nice house. We had it for a few years, done a lot of work on it. It'd have to sell. We would have to find a place to live, and anybody that lives in California knows that is really astronomical. I had looked around here, and what they're wanting for these just to rent made no sense. And then um, that we uh, would find a way to move. We couldn't even afford to move ourselves. We didn't have a lot, but what we had, we wanted to bring with us. And our, and our home church would have to support us. Now, the church I came from, I, a great church. We gave over a million dollars a year away just to help missions, home mission, whatever. It would have been nothing for them to do that. So we went home, uh, left for a, a, a trip to Spain with our college group, and we laid awake at night and thought about it, came back, and none of the things came true. So uh, we got home and uh, we made a phone call. Our realtor said to what I just told you, 1,800 homes, neighbors not got a bite, good luck. The moving, we called to find out what the cost of moving. We dro drove ourselves, or expensive. We weren't able for that either. That was, that was a no. And a place to live is, you know, we, nobody had anything and it was too expensive, especially when you don't have an income or a congregation. And the last one, I was went to my pastor and I said, hey, we're probably not gonna do this, but if we did, what could you guys do to help us out? Which we help churches out all the time. It wasn't a big deal. And he said, well, we could probably do, and I think he said, I don't know, $1,000 a month or some ridiculous number. It wasn't enough to find housing and, and food and everything. And when he said that, I, I just kind of made me mad again. It's twice he had turned me down. And fortunately, before I could share what I was thinking, 
He said, Doyle, you're going to have to make this decision based not on the circumstances or what we can do for you, but on what God wants. And I went, ding, ding. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And so um, I went home. It was in the in late morning, is our call. The crucial moment came. Two kids, I still remember, I can see myself pushing in the shopping cart. We're in the grocery store, and all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming sense that we were going to move and that it was going to be what God wanted us to do. Start crying, took my two kids and went to the car and went home and Doyle was there and he, we worked at a church where he never came home for lunch. You had a very strict schedule and he had very strict hours and I'm like, hey, what are you doing home? And he said, I said, we're going to go, right? And he said, yes. And I started crying. <laughs> as most would do in that situation, most moms, because I thought, oh no, we're gonna starve in America. So we, I resigned two days later. I resigned from a very secure position with a great future, lots of freedom. And I resigned with no place to live, no congregation to pastor, no income, and no way to get there. At that moment, I just really thought, I thought selfishly myself, you know, how's this going to happen? Like, how am I going to feed the kids? Okay, what can my family do? How's this going to work? You figure out how am I going to make this happen for my kids and us? And then I'm ashamed to say it took a while before I got to the spiritual side of things where I had to really say, God, if you're going to do this, it's going to have to be miraculous. But then I became very like stoic about it almost. Like if I didn't have enough faith and I wasn't a good enough Christian, until someone sat me down and said, you know what, it's okay that it can be what God wants you to do and it can still be hard and painful. You don't have to act like it's okay. And that was a great moment for me. I was like, okay, God, because whatever I'm gonna do in my life, I'm such a messed up guy that if it's anything good, it's got to be you. So let's just go for broke here. Doesn't matter if I trust you a little or a lot, I'm gonna have to trust you, so let's go with a lot. So the minute we said yes, to, when all the obstacles were in our way and everything had been a no, then God started opening the doors. We got a phone call that said, hey, are you guys coming? And I said, we mean you're coming. So I happen to be visiting a church the day you guys spoke there. Are you coming? Yeah. He goes, well, I've got a house in Rossmore that you can live in for free as long as you need it. And so housing was taken care of for the short term. Then all of a sudden we put our house on the market. It sells instantly, like right away for, you know, what we had asked. Uh, a guy called me and said, hey, you work with my kids when they were in a youth program. You're always great to them. I am the vice president of Beacon Van Lines. Can I help you out with the move? I'm like, you sure could. <laughs> and then uh, the last thing was the night we left, the night our things were packed and we were getting ready to leave the next morning, our home church said that they were going to sponsor us for a year. They were going to help us out. And so all the things we wanted from God we, we, that we thought we needed, we got, but only after we said yes, which is kind of a life principle for me now. You'll get what, what you need, but you gotta say yes to God. So for us, this whole thing is not a career move. This is not a job. This is, this is, this is not just even a calling, it's a destiny. I feel like this is what we were made to do. Now, whether we do it fully up to what God expects or not, that's up to us. But God's got the destiny there. If I'll step into it and trust him, and so we kind of started with an experiment. Let's just see. Let's just see who God loves. Let's see who God can draw to himself uh, through his love if we'll just be available and, and just step into it. So that's kind of been our story, our history. When we got here, we, um, 
we just started having church like I mean I wore a suit and tie we're two blocks from the beach I can almost see it from here and I'm wearing a suit and tie because that's all what I, I didn't know I'm you know so what do you do in a new town okay um, I'll go open a bank account so I go open a bank account and, and during my prayer time I prayed God I don't know how to do this church thing and I said God help me be the kind of person that can impact people's lives and all of a sudden and I'm opening my bank account within 10 minutes the young lady opening my bank account is telling me her life story and is crying and is praying to receive Jesus. The father of her children beats her up. She ran away to get out here from somewhere else. And I just share the gospel and she just commits her life to Christ right there. I'm like, okay, that prayer kind of worked. And so we just started doing that. And we started remodeling this little building and people started seeing it and it started looking better. And people started asking us why and what's going on. And slowly, very extremely slowly, people began to show up a little bit at a time and we started getting a, a bit of a congregation after after a while, but it was a long, long haul. So we just really got to know people and invited them to the church. And then they invited their friends and together we kind of grew together. What does this ministry look like? What do we want it to look like? And the first few years in this building were really all about testing God. Is it true? And are people that are far from God, can they walk through these doors, understand it and have a life change? And it grew and grew, and God blessed, and till uh, the point where we would open the doors, people would be sitting outside on their bikes. We were full in here, and people were like outside the doors sitting on their bikes. We were bursting at the seams. We used every room for everything you can imagine. Doyle's office was also like a kid's class. Nobody had an office here. You had an office slash kid's class. And, and eventually we did grow out of this little tiny building and moved into a school, a McGaw school about a mile from here, three quarters of a mile from here, and met there for many years. It just kept growing slowly. There was never any kind of explosive, oh my goodness, look at this. It just kept growing very, very slowly. But remember, I had seen a pastor build a church over 20 plus years. I knew that it was gonna take a long time. Yeah, so we began to look for a building, had a building in escrow, and then we were approached by a church uh, in Cyprus, uh, Grace Church. This church that I knew a little bit about called and talked to Doyle and said that they had we need they needed leadership and we needed facilities and maybe that would work out. And so, to be really honest, uh, I said no. And then I went to our leadership and said, I told them no. And they said, did you pray? <laughs> I said, no. So would you like to pray about it maybe? And so I did. And in prayer, um, I, I realized I should at least be open to the possibility. 9-11 in 2001, Doyle went and started talking to them about it. And he came home that night. And again, I said, I'm sure we're not gonna do this, right? And he said no. And then he said, well, maybe we should pray about it. The board thinks we should pray about it prayed about it. Again, that prayer thing gets in the way every time. <laughs> prayed about it, and then we moved on that campus and started services January of 2002. How do I feel after 30 years? It's so amazing. I thought I would feel some sense of arrival. There isn't any, uh, because there's, there's still thousands and thousands of people that need to know Jesus. I don't think you ever arrive. So here, if you want my honest today, today, my honest thoughts, 
I don't think I understood when we were young and we we're just starting out how near impossible it is for life change to happen. To me, it's a, it's a much greater thing. It's a huge thing. If this really happens, this person really commits their life to Christ, and, and our whole thing was to see if people come to Jesus, even those who had no predisposition toward Christianity. And we have, we've seen hundreds of them, and we still see people, but now I think I appreciate, it takes a long time for some folks, it takes a deep work of the Holy Spirit. It takes a huge amount of courage on the individual's part to be that vulnerable, to open themselves up to God and to other people who can help them grow. I just appreciate now how incredibly difficult life change is, which makes me just realize all the more how big God is, how wonderful God is, how much He loves us. I look back and I really, I keep saying this, but I look back and the things I think about are the people, like as we celebrated this last weekend, people came up and said, you know, here's my story, here's what part Seacoast, not Doyle and Connie, here's the part Seacoast had in it. And I look and I really think it's amazing to think the trajectory changed of an entire family or kids that weren't even born because of what God did when it brought them to a place that they felt comfortable and they felt like they could find that moment with God and start their journey. And then the second thing is God is faithful. I never would have thought that we would be in this spot that we're in right now in the sense of God has just provided both personally and as a ministry. I mean, things that didn't make sense on, on paper, even when we came, eventually buying a house, that never made sense. But God did all these amazing things, you know, through our journey that even down to the place we live because He cares about all those things. And so God's faithfulness is really the key of what I feel my, our ministry's been about is he, he never stopped. He was never late. He was always there. He's never quit guiding and directing us. And I don't look at it as, again, a Doyle and Connie story. It's a Seacoast story of God's been faithful to Seacoast. Yeah, there is no there on this earth. You're never gonna arrive on this earth. And I feel incredibly blessed to have gotten to do what I've gotten to do and to get to continue to do it and now do it with others that uh, I so appreciate our staff and, and our congregation. I just believe that serving God is the funnest way to live your life. And I got 30 years to prove it's true. I invite people to experiment, experiment that way of living where you're serving God, experiencing the joy. Thank you. So here's the deal. Um, Cody asked us to do this. We did it, uh, not because that's the entire story of our church. That's just our story. Our church history, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, goes all the way back to 1925 and North uh, Long Beach Brethren and, and Grace Brethren. So we've all come together, and that's a part of what we are as a family. But that's our part of the story, uh, the Seacoast side of the story. And we want to share that with you. And the reason we want to share it with you is because we live in a world where you turn on the news every night, and they are always telling you about how somebody failed, somebody hurt somebody, somebody stole something, something bad happened. Never do you turn on the news and they go, here's a family that's doing great. <laughs> you know, they never turn on the news and go, here's a guy that set out to make a difference in the world and look, he's doing pretty good. Like, right? Here's people wanting to stay married for a long time and guess what? They're still married. 
It never happens. So we want, it's sent up here, on behalf of all those who are still married, all those who are living out God's plan for your life, and go, it can happen, okay? It can happen. So, and so the, the first week, we, we said we had special guests each week. First week, we had George. Last week, we had Corey Briggs. And this week, we don't have somebody new to our church, but we have a guest speaker. And this is my wife, Connie. And I cannot tell you how much she hates being up here right now and how much I'm enjoying it. So, so here's what happened. We watched the video a few days ago, and I, I said, Connie, let's take a few minutes. And, and, uh, and, and I said, and I thought we were going to have a brainstorming session. Like, w- what are some of the most important things we've learned in the last 30 years? Let's just share that. Maybe it can help somebody. And she sat down and just mapped the whole thing out right there. And I went, oh, okay. Oh, okay, which is kind of my role in life. So anyway, so uh, and she kind of mapped the whole thing. So I'm going to help her tell you what she told me, and because uh, she might leave out the best parts, because she does that sometimes. Uh, so uh, the first thing you told me was, and you kind of uh, alluded to it in the video, is God's faithfulness. Talk to me about that. What have we learned about God's faithfulness? Well, I think for us, a couple of things. One, I'll say that I'm a girl from Oklahoma. So I never thought I would end up here in California. It was and wearing really... shoes. <laughs> okay, Oklahoma. I can see how it's going to go here. Uh, maybe I'll do it on my own. Uh, anyway, but I, I never thought this was where I was going to end up. But I think that one of the things that we have found is that, listen, our story is just about saying yes to God. All we did was each time something happened, starting, I really would say, at a young age for for both of us. You had a couple of detours along there. But um, just to say yes to the thing that God asked for us right then, it was just a lot of small steps. We didn't go from there to here. It was a lot of like, yes, okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll take the next step. And even when we got here, I must be a slow learner because when we came to California, the very first like we, the kids and I flew, Doyle drove the car. So, you know, he's trying to make it like, here we are, great adventure, family, here we are in California. I had and flowers. He, yeah. I showed up at the airport with flowers, toys. Yeah, and I, was, I, after being with two small kids, like traveling from Chicago, I had had it anyway by the time I got here. So we got here, we get in the car, and I'm like, gosh, that sounds weird. It sounds like it's making a weird noise. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So we keep going, well, the car stops and dies, and like we are beside the road, like now here we are, here we are on our grand adventure. So we call the only people we knew, and they're selling their house, so they're showing their house. So they were like, okay, we'll, we'll get the keys and get to your, to your place, and um, we'll bring you some, some sleeping bags. So the first night here, I'm so excited and feeling like I took my step of faith, and we're here, cars towed, and we're on with sleeping bags at the place that because uh, the truck wasn't on the here floor. yet. Yeah. yeah. And then the next day they called and they said it'll be eighteen hundred dollars to fix your cart. That was a lot of money when you have no money. That was like, how are we going to do this? Like now we really have a problem because we only have one car. So we kind of talked to our family, sorted out how that was going to happen. But again, it was like seriously, this is it. I think we've made a wrong decision. And over the next three weeks. God used four different people, two of which I had never met, right? Sent us checks for $500 each and said, I heard about what you're doing, and I felt like God told me that I should send you this money. And I think he did that, honestly, because I, would, I needed to have, like, 
I am here. This is it. You took the step. I am going to be here. Each step, I'm going to be here. And if you forgot, like on your, your truck from Chicago to California, I'm going to remind you again. I'm going to be there every step of the way. And we had a saying when we first started that God was um, always right on time. He was never late. But I always said he was never early. For once, could you just like, I got it, you know? But, so that was kind of how everything happened. We weren't sure how to pay a bill. We weren't sure how things were going to happen or what was the next step. God would provide, like always right on time. So um, when, when you think about that learning, that, I mean, we're still learning it, but how do you, how do other people, how do you see that happening or not happening in other people's lives? Well, I, I say this with fear and tra- I'm not, tra- I work with a lot of millennials, which I'm really thankful for. And uh, it's not just millennials. I've seen this in millennials and people my own age that they will, we're kind of in this YouTube generation. We're very safe. My kids, if they don't know how to do something, they'll look it up on YouTube, right? You can get from point A to point Z. Also, they don't want to take, we don't want to really take a risk anymore because we want to know what the outcome. So we'll read through everything and we'll know what's going to happen. We know what to expect. So I think that plays out in our Christian life because we don't really need faith anymore. We're just going to read about it. And so we don't need to step out and really see what's going to happen. We want to, we had obviously growing up, I mean, now I'm, I'm thankful for all seat belts and things. I mean, my parents put me like in the back of the window of the car and we took a trip across you know the country i don't think that's the way to go either but we've gotten so insulated and safe that in our christian walk we forgot that god expects something from us no go ahead keep going what do you mean he expects something from us (laughs) you're about to preach so i want to hear it go girl (laughs) i think that you can't find who god designed you to be by sitting in a chair If you stay in the chair the whole time, you're never going to find it. And for me, God gave me my dream job, and he gave it through. I started out, like, doing every job imaginable. I said the kids' department is so thrilled that I think when we first started, they started growing when I left because I am the worst teacher possible for kids. I don't really like them. So, (laughs) you know, that might be a problem. Well, our two I like, and our anyway. Um, you only like one of ours. Let's be honest. Well, all right, I like the grandkids, but anyway. Um, but it gave me all those things gave me a heart for what I eventually was going to do, which is I do now work closely with our kids department, and I love and I respect those volunteers because I know what it takes to be a volunteer in there, and I know how important it is. I always thought it was important, but I didn't know how to get there. So cleaning the toilets at the little church, doing children's, doing small groups, doing everything there was, helped form who God wanted me to be and helped me find my purpose. But I had to kind of get off the chair and start doing stuff because God was going to put all those things together. I loved business when I was growing up, and I always thought that was the route I was going to take. I was going to be in business and run a company. But I think God took all those desires and everything I loved, and now he's put them into what I call my dream job. Now, it's really cute how you keep saying, get off the chair. That's not the phrase you use when we talked about this in my office. What you said was, and I quote, because I wrote it down, (laughs) you got to get off the couch and find your God story. That does not sound like me. That sounds like you. 
No, the, I wrote it. It's you. Get off the couch. I'm sure of it. So, All right. It, so, what if, so I've seen this happen. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. Somebody comes up to you. They might be a young person just seeking their way in life, or they might be somebody our age going, well, it's so great for you. You're a pastor's wife. You know what you're supposed to do, but I'm just a regular person. I don't know. And, and your response to them is what? What are you doing? I mean, everybody likes to tell me how it's so great that I got my God story. And it's like, you have a better God story than I do because it's yours. There are a lot of talented, gifted people in this room today. And you may not be using your full potential because you haven't taken, you're waiting for somebody to write you a letter, hand it to you, and then you're going to go, okay, I'll go do that. Or either, or that's not the job I want. That's what I hear a lot. Well, that's not really what I want to do. It's okay. Try it, and God will give you some experience, and then go on to the next, because he may need to grow you up a little bit. You may need some things that you need to work out, and he's going to work them out while you're sitting with those kids or while you're sweeping the parking lot or directing traffic, whatever, or in your job. It's the same for your job. You may not get your dream job until you start doing the things that God wants you to do now. Two words that, that I had written down before we even talked and that she's talking about are my, my words for those are dependency. Dependency on God. God is faithful. He will come through for you no matter where you are. Whether young, old, in between, if you're following him, he will come through for you. And when you begin to be obedient to God and depend on him, you will, play, you will find your place of destiny. I believe that. I believe that we, this is our destiny. It, it, not that God would have made it happen if we hadn't agreed to it, but we have tried to live this long obedience, and God has brought us to a place where Connie's doing exactly what I believe she was created to do. And I'm doing exactly what I think I was created to do. And there is nothing better than doing what you were created to do. It's just, it's the best. It's just incredible. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, get off the couch. Okay, so um, you did say that. Uh, uh, so let me just read a couple of passages. One th that you brought up when we were talking the other day. The first one is Jeremiah 29, 11, that really kind of sustained us uh, through the years. And it's just, um, uh, I know the plans I have for you. This is God talking. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you uh, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that kind of sustained us through a lot. But there is another passage, and this is interesting, because here's what happens. When you begin to know that God's got this, and you begin to step out and do things. God didn't say yes to all the stuff we needed until we said yes to God, okay? And you're all going, well, I, I would like to have, I need to say yes to God and the thing that's in front of you, and he'll say yes to you in the long run, okay? And so, uh, so one of the things you start seeking God and you start being obedient, then he will start bringing stuff. He'll bring your experience together, your passions together, your opportunities together, and you'll start having maximum impact. You'll even begin to realize that you, he's been setting you up for a big win your whole life. So one of the things she said to me, I don't even know if I knew this. I mean, I knew this passage was special to you, but I don't know that I knew where it came from. And so there's this passage. I'm just going to read it real quick. And it's from Esther, Esther 4, uh, 14. And who knows, but you have come to uh, your royal p position for such a time as this. Tell them where that came from, because I know you always use that. And I, I know you always draw that, or come back to that when we're in it. Tell them. Um, when I was in high school, uh, we had a guest speaker, and then I think we broke down into like small groups, and I had my usual leader that I really loved. And so don't take this as some super mystical, this was just straight out of the Bible kind of thing. 
And so she said to me, she said, you know, Connie, I really believe that this passage in Esther for such a time as this is what is going to be the kind of the quote for your, the, the verse for your life. I think God is going to use that. So remember that. So every time we got into these situations where I really wanted to throw in the towel, I was really done. And I thought, okay, we've done, you know, kind of, we've done our journey. We've done our hard duty here in California. We're going back. And uh, every, every time I thought that I would remember for such a time as this, God, has, God called me for such a time as this, and I wouldn't quit because I knew that that was why I was here, and that was why, what I needed to, to say to me through each of these like really difficult times. Yeah. So what is it that God has in the design of your life and the place he's put you that you were there for such a time as this? So one of our musicians is out on the road, I think. Is he out on the road already? He's released a, a, a song. He started climbing the charts. And so we met, he and his wife met with us and just wanted our blessing, wanted to pray with him. And, and he said, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm going. But he said, I don't need to be famous to make a lot of money. But he said, and here's it, and I believe he meant it. He said, if this touches one life, it'll be worth all the work. And I think that's kind of how we felt and feel, Right? That, so there's another word that came to mind, it's gratitude. And those two go together. The gratitude we feel for the privilege we've had of doing what we've gotten to do and hope to do for many more years. But it really becomes real when one individual stands in front of us and we realize that God had a design and that we just happen to be a little piece of it. Talk about your conversation. Well, it kind of, this week it became real for me because we, we do daily devotions here at Seacoast with the staff and someone who I've known for a long time, someone I consider a dear friend, uh, was talking to me and he was uh, talking about kind of the impact in his life for, Doyle and for being part of Seacoast. And I, his life has had ups and downs and turns and all these things and he has a story in itself and I thought, God, if you brought me here just for that, then it's okay because everybody thinks that they need to come for the masses. If God wants you to affect one person, that's okay because we heard David Wood talk about he, he was there. Then there was Nabil, and look at all that Nabil has done. You don't know. It may not be about you, as hard as that is to, <laughs> to hear in these days. It may not be what you're going to do. It may be what someone else is going to do and how you're going to impact them. So I just think for me, for us to be part of this, I am so grateful that I have gotten to be on this journey as long as we have been and to see the things God did. I didn't use them. Like, I'm supposed to be a vessel that's emptied of me and filled up with God, right? And he uses me. It's not about me because in my own self, I'm horrible. I'm miserable. I don't even like being up here. But <laughs> Why did you point to me when you said that? I like being back there with my people it's, back there. If you'd the said, I don't like being up here as opposed to up here, it would have had a different meaning. I'm a little offended. Well, you know, you know what you did. So. <laughs> <laughs> she said, get off the couch. And then she said, because if you don't get off the couch, you'll never find what makes your heart sing. Right there, I wrote it down. You said it, and you know you said it. If you don't find the place in the kingdom that God made you for, your heart's never going to sing. And if your heart's never sang, you don't know what you're missing, but it's pretty incredible. My prayer for you today is that you'll trust God enough to, to have a relationship with him, 
to find your destiny so that you live a heart where your heart, where you live a life where your heart is singing. Let your heart sing. That's what God wants to do. That's what our story is about. It's about helping people find their place of service, their place of relationship with Christ and each other so their heart can sing. You got anything else? Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, wow, you have been so good. You've been good to me and you've been good to Connie, you've been good to this church, you've been good to all humankind and we are undeserving of it and we know that. But Lord, I believe you did create us that our heart would sing that we would experience life the way we were designed to experience it in love with you, in love with each other, and doing something with our skills, with our, our experience, with our, with our passions that really makes a difference. Lord, my prayer is that our congregation would continue to become and not only more like Jesus, but we would be a bunch of heart singers. We'd be a bunch of people who know why we're on this earth, living out that purpose allowing our heart to sing every single day. And if we have to get off the couch to do it, give us the courage to do that, Lord God. Lord, you have been good. We're so excited about the future, Lord, but we just want to thank you for what you've already done. We love you, Jesus. Amen.